it's on now. So you missed like the first 30 seconds if you're on the recording. So anyway, sorry. Uh, Romans 1 through 8, we've kind of got through it. It's, it's everything that God has done for us to bring us to the point of salvation and then what we do after that, right? You know, what God has put in place, right? There's nothing that can separate us. So I don't want to go back. There's, there's tons of resources that's on uh, the Facebook and it's on the recording or all these different things to go back and listen to that if you need to. But um, when we get into Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, and Paul takes a little hiatus, and I know I talked about this last week, so I'm going to spend a lot of time on it, but to talk not just directly to the Jew, but more talk about the nation of Israel, right? Because he's writing the letter to the church. Uh, he is, he, he, this is a letter not to the Jews, but he's like, hey, there's something you need to understand. And so this is where you can take something practically for your own life. We are the church, right? Obviously, we're not Jews. And even if you were Jewish, you could get saved. But we're not, we're not Jewish in the sense that we are God's chosen people, right? And so we are the church. We are grafted in as the book of John would tell us, right? Through salvation, through the blood of Christ, we now are in the vine. We can abide in the vine. So, chapters 9, 10, and 11 do apply to you in the fact that Paul was writing to somebody just like you explaining what's going on with Israel. And what's going on with Israel is super important. And I know you're like, well, it's a long ways away, right? And it's hot there, and there's sand there, and and all that, right? Um, There's a lot going on in the Middle East, right? There's a lot going on with Israel, but you have to understand that there's something bigger with that little piece of ground. There's something bigger with God's chosen people, right? And so as you read through the book of Romans, Paul's writing to you, to the church. So don't just throw this out because it's not about you. He's trying to, he's trying to learn you something here, uh, to put it in, in my terms, right? He's trying to, to show you something about what's going on with Israel, okay? And so he starts, and let's just jump into this, uh, Romans chapter 9. Let's just, uh, let's just start back over at the beginning of Romans chapter 9, and then we'll get back into our, uh, our list that we started last week. So Romans chapter 9. It says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Ghost. That's one verse just basically saying, I'm telling you the truth. Uh, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in heart, for I wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaining the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, who are the fathers, and uh, who concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God bless forever, amen. So we got through five verses last week. Not not a great week uh, to, to press through, right? But that's okay um, because I gave you... Here's here's kind of the list that I had for you. It's These are four examples out of the first, I think, 18 verses uh, of God's sovereignty at work right here in the beginning of Romans chapter 9. Four examples. And the first example was Israel itself, right? And so we know that there are times that God allows things to happen. Uh, God is the one who makes the choice, right? Sometimes as the head of the household, you have to make a decision. You have to decide this is the direction we're going to go, right? And so God, uh, at times, allows things to happen, uh, ordains things to happen, and we don't have to completely understand them. It's God's sovereignty, right? And it's just the way that it is. And so these are examples of God's sovereignty. So last week, we only got through the first point, and it was just basically Israel itself. Clear back in Genesis, God said what? Abraham, I'm going to set you apart. Right? I'm going to do something great through you. And we're going to pick up from there and move forward. But the nation of Israel itself 
is a perfect picture of God's sovereignty. Right? We didn't God didn't say, Hey, we're gonna use the Amalekites. He didn't say, Hey, we're gonna use, you know, the, this, this these people or that people or all these other He said, We're gonna use Israel, right? It, that's just who we, that's his sovereignty at work. We don't question it then, we only question it when it's in our own lives. Why is that? Oh, well it's because it hits close to home. But that's alright. God wants things to hit close to home. Right, so anyway, the nation of Israel is the first example of God's sovereignty. They are God's chosen people. We talked about that a lot last week. You need to go back and catch it because I don't want to, to kind of redo all that. But Paul says, hey, I'm telling you something that's really important here, church. If I could take the place of my brothers, Israel, I would do it. If I could take death so they knew salvation, I would do it. And we hit on this a little bit last week, but a lot of us would we say we want to do that, but there might only be a couple people in the world you're willing to take a bullet for, right? Uh, I would I would do anything. I, I would step in front of a train for my wife or my kids, right? Um, there are other people in the world that's like I would be like, hey, get out of the way of the train. I mean, I care about you, but I'm, you know, and that's just the way it is. And I'm, I don't I don't mean that callous. I just mean there are certain people that we would do anything for. Paul's like, hey. My brothers, the Jews, right? Because I'm a Jew. I would die if they knew. If they only knew. Right? And that should speak to the, the, the certainty that Paul knew of the Gospel. Right? And so that was the first example. The Israel itself. So, let's pick back up in, in Romans chapter 6. So, the nation of Israel is like, as a whole, an example. The next two are going to be examples out of the nation of Israel. Right? We're going we're gonna to like microscope in on this thing just a little bit more. So, the nation of Israel is, is the first example. Pick up in verse 6. This is a really, really important verse to get if you're going to understand uh, the sovereignty of God concerning the nation of Israel. He says, "...not as though the word of God hath taken none effect." Meaning, I would die for them if I could, but if I could do that, then it would make the Word of God really not true because the Word of God says I can't do that. They have to choose on their own. That's what he's saying. Not as though the Word of God had taken no effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Somebody want to take a stab at what that means? Right? They are not all Israel which are of Israel. What is he trying to say there? Because this is kind of a, a, a point you need to kind of try to understand, right? Because we look at it as, well, the Jews are God's chosen people, right? Yeah, They are, right? The Jews are God's chosen people. What Paul's trying to say here is, you're correct. The quote-unquote nation of Israel, they're God's chosen people. I didn't say the Jews were God's chosen people. That's what he's trying to say. Not all Israel, meaning the Jews, are Israel, meaning the chosen nation. Right, you have to understand that. That's what most, and I don't, I don't mean to say this in a way that would offend a Jewish person, uh, but sometimes the truth offends people. Just because you were born a Jew doesn't make you any closer to God than a, a, a Gentile. Right? It doesn't. Not today, anyway. Now, in the Old Testament, it was a little different. But we're not in the Old Testament anymore. He says, not all Israel, not all Jews are Israel God's chosen people. You have to understand, things change. The dispensation changed. The way God is dispensing His grace towards the, the nation changed. Why did that happen? Because they rejected Him. He came in the flesh, stood in front of them, and said, I am Jesus the Christ. And they're like, yeah, I don't really think so. Right? Maybe not. Right? I, you know, you look real, but no, I'm, I'm good. 
Right? And, and so it's no different than just because one of your kids are, are your kids doesn't make them who you are. They might have traits of you, but they are not they are not the chosen people, right? It doesn't work like that. So verse seven, neither because they are the seed of Abraham, meaning Jews, are they the children, but in Isaac shall they seed be called. That is, verse eight, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promises are counted for the seed. So let's just kind of pick up and try to get through some of these notes. So Israel rejected God. We know that, right? He came in the flesh and they rejected him. I mean, nobody denies that. You know, and now we, we can argue all day long about who crucified Jesus. Was it the Jews? Uh, was it the uh, the Romans? Well, I mean, everybody wants to point the other guy at the other guy. It was uh, at the end of the day. If you want to just boil the answer down, you did, right? You did. Your sin is who put Christ in in the position that he was. Yeah, we want to say, well, the Romans did it, right? And the and the the, the Romans are like, it's because the Jews told us to. It, you did. Your sin is the one who put Christ in that position. Anyway, Israel rejected God, but that doesn't mean that God's word is a failure. Go back to Genesis and you might be like, well, he said he was going to come and he came and it didn't work out, right? God's plan didn't work. It's not, it doesn't mean that. The reason is because the Jews look at themselves as Jews, not religiously, but racially. I'm a Jew because I was born with this blood type, this bloodline. I'm not a Jew because I follow the Jewish tradition, right? Only when it benefits me. Right? And that's not what it is, right? A Jew thinks that he's of Israel racially and that gives him a special right with God. Because I'm born a quote-unquote Jew in my blood, that now I've got some special right with God, right? But yeah, no, that's not how it works, right? Paul says they may be physically a Jew, but that doesn't mean that God counts them as Israel. Understand that. You might be physically Jewish, but it doesn't mean that God counts you as Israel. And he's going to give us an example as to how that can work out, how that can play out. Right? What's the application to you and us? Right? You and us. That doesn't even make sense. What's the application to you and I? I don't even know. I... She's just looking at me like, really, did you say that? That's what happens when I just read. What's the application to you and I? You can't be physically born into a relationship with God. Physically. Only born again into a relationship with God. Being raised, a, being raised in a Christian home doesn't make you any more Christian than walking into a garage makes you a car, right? Does that kind of just because you grew up in a Christian, just because my three kids grew up hearing the Word of God, right? Uh, being raised in a, in a in a home that hopefully promotes godliness, it doesn't make them any more saved than them walking into you know. The garage makes them a car. It doesn't work like that. Just because they're born a Jew doesn't mean that they are of the nation of Israel. That's what he's trying to say. And you might be like, why does this even matter? Well, it does matter in the big scheme of things. So follow along because this might seem kind of dry. But you and your kids aren't any more religious. You know, it's, it's all a personal relationship thing. You have to understand that. Paul's point is that spiritual ancestry doesn't make you a part of that divine heritage. In verse 7 says, Neither because they are of the seed of Abraham are they the children, but in Isaac shall they seed be called. Right, so this is the first of a couple specific examples right out of uh, Israel itself that we're going we're gonna to hit on. Right, And so um, I'll give you a second one here in a minute. But uh, Paul's going to prove the unique relationship of Israel to God. Right, So he says that 
Not all Israel is Israel. It's only through Isaac. Somebody tell me what that means. Right. Remember, back in Genesis, without going back and referencing it because I don't have a ton of time to flip back, but if you go back to Genesis, God said, Abraham, you're going to have a son. And Abraham's like, I mean, okay. And he goes to Sarah. You know, the angel of the Lord goes to Sarah. And it's like, hey, you're going to have a son. And what's that Sarah do? She laughs. Well, remember, Abraham laughed too. He just wasn't quite as public about it. But he laughs. Why? Because they're like 100 years old. Right? I mean, it, it doesn't... I know things were slightly different then, but they're like, no, this ain't going to happen. Right? He says, you're going to have a son. And so what do they do? Well, let's just fast forward and, and we'll get into this. So... God told Abraham in Genesis 16, you're going to have a son even though you know, you're old enough to like burp dust. right? You're that old. And so you're, you're going to have a son. Uh, and, and I know you're old. Sarah laughed. And so what did she do? Well, she, she repented and had faith, right? And not quite like that, right? She's like, hey, I've got an idea. And this is, so I know you're like, I know this is an old story. Take this and apply it to your own life. God says, hey, this is going to happen in your life. Right? This is going to happen in your ministry. This is going to happen. And you're like, all right, I've got a way to make that happen. Right? Now, I I understand it seems kind of crazy that this this, and this are going to happen. So I'm like, I'm going to help you out. What do they do? Says, like, you know what? I got an idea. I've got this maid and she's younger than I am. Right? I've got this, this, this gal. You take her as like a surrogate mother. That's the way we call it today. You take her as a, a surrogate mother and, and we'll fulfill, we'll fulfill God's promise in the flesh. We're just going to help God out a little bit. Now I'm sure you've never done that in your life. I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about God says, hey, this ministry, it's, it's going to flourish. And you're like, yeah, but what if we did this? Right? What if we did... And it's okay to have ideas and outreaches and things, but um, you have to understand that God's the one who brings the increase. We need to cast the net. God's the one who puts the fish there. Remember Peter's out there fishing? They fish all night long. They don't catch a single thing. Jesus shows up on the shore. He's like, hey, what y'all doing out there? We're fishing. What do you think we're doing? Because they don't know it's Jesus, right? He's already been uh, resurrected. Or not resurrected, but he's uh, he, he's... Uh, returned. He, he's he's been buried in the grave, right? He, he shows himself to the apostles a few times before he resurrects, right? He's like, "Hey, what are y'all doing out there?" And they're like, "We're well, we're fishing." And they don't have no idea who he's who this guy is. He's like, "Hey, have you tried throwing the net on the other side of the boat?" No, we never thought of that, right? I'm sure they've cast this thing out on every side of the boat a hundred different times. They're like, "Fine, I don't know who this guy is." They throw it out there. They get so many fish in the net they can't even pull it up, right? And then all of a sudden the light bulb turns on. Oh my gosh, that must be Jesus, right? What are we doing? That's what we do, right? We've got all these great ideas. Hey, what ministry would work great if we just did this? Or, you know what would work really good in my marriage is if I just did this, or if I just read that book, or maybe if you just did what God told you to do. You know, Brian Clark, uh, missionary to London, had this really good example when it came to uh, evangelism as it hits to this point, right? What did God tell you to do? To go fishing. Right? We, we come up with all these crazy ideas. You know what we're going to do? We're going to go meet people on the street or we're going to go knock on their doors or we're going to have all these big festivals or we're going to do all these different things. And, and we come up with all these really good ideas, right? And we're like, I'm going to make this work. And I was like, you, you can't do anything 
But what did God tell you to do? Whatever that is in your marriage, in your parenting, uh, in your own personal life, in your own walk with Christ, in the ministry, just simply what did God tell you to do? If you're doing that, man, why are you worried about all the other stuff? You can't make fruit grow any more than I can. Like It doesn't happen that way. You might be like, watch, I'll put this thing in the ground. I guarantee God won't let it rain a drop. Right? And He'll turn your water hose off so you can't water it. Right? I promise, without God allowing things to happen, you can't. We can just simply do what we're told to do. So what does that have to do with, with Isaac? Well, that's what... That kind of brings it full circle. Sarah's like, hey, I don't see any way that this would happen. I know God said it would happen, but so here's what we're going to do. Uh, I really do want my husband to have a child, and you know, it'll, it'll be mine, but we're going to use Hagar, right, my maid, and we're going to make this work out. So it does work out physically. Ishmael is born. But we know that, and this is a good reference to what we were talking about, not all Israel is Israel. The descendants of Ishmael, they're not Israel. Right? Actually, fast forward and you're going you're gonna to find a different line that they lead to. But, you know, we don't have time to go down that line today. But it's only through Isaac, the promised son. Right? That's how this thing works out. So that's the second example is the example of Isaac. Right? Of God's sovereignty. God chose Isaac. He didn't just choose the son. He chose the son that he promised. Right? And you might say, well, that's not really sovereignty. It is sovereignty because God said it's going to happen. And no matter what you do to try to change the circumstances, it's still going to happen. Right? And so that's an easier one to see. Right? That's an easier one to understand. They tried to get in the middle of what God was doing and he lined them out. Right? In your own life, you try to get in the middle of what God's doing, sometimes he's going to line you out. But then it goes a little deeper. Right? Paul's just kind of like, tiptoeing into the pool on this whole God's sovereignty thing. It's one thing to say, oh yeah, he chose this nation, they're Israel. Okay, fine, he can choose a nation, whatever. And it's another thing to say, he chose Isaac over Ishmael. Okay, well that's not that big of a deal because Ishmael was born out of basically sin. It's not, that's not that hard to see how God would... And so Paul's tiptoeing into this thing because he knows how our minds work. Right? He knows that it's like, I can understand that and I can accept God's sovereignty in those things. What about when it's not so easy to understand. What about when it's not quite as, 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 as black and white? Let's fast forward some more. Romans, let's go to verse 10. So we just talked about Isaac and Ishmael, right? That's pretty easy to understand. And not only this, here's your third example. And not only this, but when Rebecca, who's Rebecca? I want to make sure everybody's on the same page, right? So Isaac, the promised son that we were just talking about, Isaac grows up, uh, and then Abraham goes and finds him a wife. Her name is Rebecca. Right? So now Isaac, the promised son, who the seed is going to be coming through, now he's old enough to have kids. And Rebecca, his wife, okay, so that's where we're at. Uh, and, then, and when Rebecca also had conceived by one, meaning there wasn't any help, Right? There was no extra handmaid in the thing. There was no extra, you know, let me, let me try to help you out, God. Uh, having conceived by one, meaning Isaac, um, even by our own father Isaac, he tells it for you. Uh, verse 11, for their children being not born. So while they're in the womb, understand this. This is in a little uh, parenthesis. So Paul's explaining this a little more because he could just skip over this. But he wants to make sure that you see that Something's going on here. He says, For the children being not born, so there's twins inside of her, neither having done any good or evil, can a, can a child inside of you make a decision? Not really. Right? They haven't done anything good or anything bad. 
Now, if they're like my sons, there are times that I think if they were twins, they would have found a way to argue while they were in the womb. But they wouldn't have, right? And they're not twins, even though they're really close in age. But the fact is, even though we think that there is there is no way that these would ever get along, right? Whatever. Uh, the point is, there is nothing good or bad that a baby can do inside the womb. They have no free will. The second that they come out, right? Now you might even say at that point there's innocence and there's, there's okay, but you're right, and we can have those conversations at some point. They now have their own free will at that point, okay? Am I going to cry when I'm hungry, or am I just going to? They have their own free will. Now, how that all works out, I'm not sure. Right? God gave some children way better lungs than others because they scream and scream, right? Uh, and and so you you know some of them can really just get out there. So um, let's see. Uh, where was that? So for the children being not born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. He's saying, I'm showing you a picture here that there was nothing good or bad that either one of these did and God still made a choice. Right? He still made a choice. I'll circle back around to this in a minute. Not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, meaning Rebecca, the elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Okay. That verse right there, man, it, it really trips some people up. How can God choose, and, and not only trip some people up, people will use this passage and show, they'll try to show, see God chooses who He's going to love and who He doesn't. Okay, and so we're going to slow down for a second and we're going to, we're going to kind of walk, walk our way through this. He's using examples, that Paul's using different examples of God's sovereignty. He used Israel. Okay, it's, it's not a big deal to see Him choose a nation out of the world. Okay. And he's like, I've chosen Isaac. He chose Isaac before Isaac was even born, right? He's like, I chose Isaac, and then you guys come up with this Ishmael idea and see how that worked out. Okay, well, that's not that hard to figure out that that wasn't God's choice. But then he dives in a little more, and he uses the example of Jacob and Esau. Right? That's your third example, the example of Jacob and Esau. So what he says, basically, they're in the womb, and God comes down to Sarah. You can read all this in Genesis. Uh, and says, hey... The elder will serve the younger. Now, I know in today's society we don't quite do it like this, but especially in, in Bible times and throughout uh, early history, the oldest child was the heir, right? All the other children, they got a little something, but it was the oldest child that was basically, uh, they, they took the name of the family, and they, uh, they had the birthright, right? They, had, they were God's people, Right, not God's people, but they were they were the family's chosen, not chosen, but the the oldest, right? And so we kind of we kind of play that in our minds. But now it's like when we write our will, we divide all our stuff between our kids, you know, because everything's got to be fair, which it should be, you know. And so it was different then. So for the angel of the Lord to come down and say, "The elder will serve the younger," that was completely countercultural. What do you mean? You know, whichever one of these comes out first, they're the elder, right? And and they will receive the birthright. And the angel of the Lord's like, yeah, it might seem like that, but that's not how this is going to play out. And so Rebecca's like, okay, we'll see. You know, in, in, in more words than that. But she's like, we'll see how it goes, okay? So that's kind of how the story plays out. So we're going to get into, and I know this is going to seem teachy, but I need you guys to... I need you to get this, okay? So it's kind of a technical, even theological, right, at times, and I'm not a theologian, 
discussion on God's sovereign election. Right? It says right there, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. Right? Ishmael was the product of a surrogate mother. It's easy to see why he might be rejected. Right? It was them helping God out. That's easy to understand. But Jacob and Esau were twins. They had the same mother and the same father. Right? Well, why does... Esau was the first out. You get the picture, right? He's the older. And would be the natural one to receive the birthright. But even before they were born, God made a selection. Just like God does every day in the lives of all the people on the earth. Right? He allows the things, the circumstances. Right? And I don't get me wrong, your free will choices have a ton to do with the circumstances in your life. Right? When you choose to go this way, when God says go that way, that's not God's sovereignty, that's your not-headedness. Right? And there will be chastisement for that. Right? But we're talking before you can even make the decision. He pronounced that the older would serve the younger. So, we're going to get technical for a minute. Because I know... How many of you have heard the term Calvinism? Huh? Chris, you're a fire. Calvinism. So somebody give me a quick, uh, like what you would know of Calvinism, right? Because it's kind of a taboo word, right? So I want to I wanna just kind of walk through this. So just a quick rule, I mean, just what, what, is, what does it mean when somebody's a Calvinist? Anybody? Your priest that is the mindset of what people think Calvinists are. If you're Calvinistic or if you're a Calvinist, you believe that uh, basically God will God has pre-chosen who will and won't be saved, and you don't have a whole lot of uh, say in the matter, right? If you're if, if you're on the quote-unquote list. Then at some point in your life, God's going to save you, so you might as well go out and have a good time until then, because when He chooses it, you couldn't run away from it if you wanted to. On the other hand, if you thought you did want to get saved, and you weren't on the quote-unquote list, right? I'm trying to just put this in terms that make sense in my head, that there's nothing you could do, there's no amount of good or uh, following of God that you could do that would ever get you to heaven, right? That's what people think of Calvinism as. And so, that's not exactly true. That is what we would call more, and this kind of gets really teachy, hyper-Calvinistic, right? Like way over here. Okay? But then, so, if, if, if there's Calvinism, that means if, the, if they're all the way on this side, right? Then that means there's got to be something over on the other side, right? That's completely wackadoo on this side. Sorry if... That offends somebody, right? If you're if you're hyper Calvinistic over here, there's got to be somebody that wants to be so different, right? They've got to be as divided as Democrats and Republicans are right now, right? That's all I'm gonna say about that. That's just there is no we can't even look on the same page, right? They're that divided. Okay, so let me just kind of give you a real quick rundown of what that would look like. In the in the 1700s, right? And I'm not a history teacher, but just follow the line. There were there were two great pre- preachers in England and America, George Whitfield, George, George Whitfield and John Wesley, right? And without like teaching you a whole bunch of stuff, I wanted to kind of just go down this for a second. Whitfield was a well, we'll just call him he was a Calvinist, right? He was a Calvinist. I just kind of explained what that means somewhat. 
Okay? Wesley was the founder of what we would know as the now-day Methodist, right? John Wesley. Okay? And so, don't be mad at your Methodist neighbors. It doesn't mean anything. I mean, kind of. But anyway, the, the line of thinking. The, so, Wesley uh, could be considered the father of modern-day Here's another word for you, Armenianism. So there's Calvinism and there's Armenianism. And you're like, who cares? I promise you need to know this. Because you might not think you need to know this, but there will be a time in your life where somebody comes up and they want to call you Baptist and they're going to say, oh, you're a Calvinist because you're a Baptist, right? And you're like, wait a minute, I don't, I don't want to be that. And they're like, okay, well, what are you then, an Armenian? You're like, no, I'm not that either. Okay, we'll get there. So there's a reason I'm trying to explain this to you because you might not think you need to know, but you need to know. Right? If nothing else, for your own edification and give you peace about your own where you're at, right? Even here at HBF. So there's two competing systems of theology regarding doctrine, right? You've got the Calvinist and you've got the Armenians. Well, let me tell you this they're both evangelical, which is what you want to claim to be, whether you know it or not, right? Because you're not. Catholics, so you're evangelical. And some Catholics want to claim that, but anyway, we're not going to go down that road either. You're either one or the other, and that's what people want to put you in this group. Well, you don't have to be one or the other. They both believe in salvation through grace through faith. The hyper-Calvinists say that some people are predestined to salvation, right? And the rest are predestined to hell. You're either, you have no choice in it. You're either predestined to get saved, you're predestined to go to hell, you've got no choice in the matter. Right? That's what the hyper Calvinists are going to tell you. Okay? The Armenians say, no, man has free will. And not only free will, but they've got so much free will that basically, where are we at here? I want to make sure I, I want to read this right. To the extent that not only is God at his own beck and call, Right? Meaning God, a man can get saved whenever he wants, wherever he wants. It doesn't matter. God, God will be there when I want him to be there. Well, that's true in a sense, right? Just like there's some things in a Calvinist sense that are true. Um, but since he's able to choose when he's time to get saved, he's also later on able to say, you know what, that salvation that I chose, I don't want it anymore. Meaning I can reject it. I can be saved for so long, but then I can not be saved anymore because I don't want to. You know, and since I'm the God of my life, I can do whatever I want. Okay, so neither one of those lines of thinking seem logical, right? That's because you've been taught in a church that rightly divides the word, right? And it's good that either one of those lines of thinking makes you think, that's totally whack. Because there are some people that would tell you one side or the other is exactly right and there's nothing else that's right. So the point is, it's good that you're like, neither one of those sound right. Okay, so let's go a little farther. There's very strict Baptist and Reformed denominations. Now, I did say Baptist, right? Don't freak out. That are considered hyper-Calvinists. And groups like the Nazarenes and the Methodists that are Armenian. Yet, we all call ourselves Christians. And I say all of that to say, are you starting to see why not all quote-unquote Christians are the same? Now, I'm not saying that your friend down the road is not saved. I don't know. And it's not for me to judge. And it's not for you to judge. What I'm saying is, are you seeing why not every church that you stumble into, not every line of thinking leads to where you want to get to? Right? And so I say all of that to say, there's a reason you need to understand this. What does that have to do with Jacob and Esau? Right? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me get there. 
ก็ตามด้วยโรมันส์9 is the chapter that explains the truth of all the ins and outs of salvation from God's side. Right? We're not Calvinist and we're not Armenian. I just want to be a Bible believer. Right? Can we just agree to be that? So God, even though He's God, He's not like the God of the Greeks and the Romans. He doesn't make just arbitrary choices. Well, you know, because that happened, I'm going to decide this. His providence has eyes, right? It interacts with your situation, and it's so big, and it's so sovereign, and it's so secure in its control that it can react to your free decision and still encompass God's will. What does that mean? It means that you make free will decisions because God gave you free will. Would you agree to that? Right? I can choose right now to walk out of here and never come back. That's my own free will, and it's my. and it's not free will, it's my uh, consequence to uh, reap what I sow. Right? It's no different than I can choose uh, one day in early 2008 to say, you know what, uh, I'm done walking down this road, I just want to follow Christ. Whatever that means, God, I'm all in. And, and I have free will to do that. And I can reap what I sow from that. I have free will. The cool thing about God's sovereignty is, it's so big... And it's so all-knowing that it knew what I would decide before I decided. It didn't tell me what to decide. And it already has it played out for me. Right? You have every bit of free will in this that you want. You can walk out and never come back. You can jump on the following God train and never get off. And God knew, but He allowed you to be a part of it. Right? He allowed you to have a say in it. He allowed you... Let me say it this way. God saved us as a free choice of His divine election. So if you're like, oh my gosh, He just said election. He's a Calvinist. Okay, let me go on to say, and as a free choice of your independent will. Well, now you're an Armenian. Or maybe we're somewhere in between. I understand that God knows all, is all, and is everywhere. But He still gave me every opportunity to do whatever I wanted to do Right? It took all of God's sovereignty and all of my free will to get me to where I'm at today. And you could all say the exact same thing. It took all of God's sovereignty to not allow the truck to T-bone you and kill you. And it took all of your free will to decide to make the right turn and not to get hit. Would you agree to that? And it's all of those things, whether it be salvation or something as simple as a circumstance in your life that allows the sovereignty of God and the will of yourself to prove out, go on to say, both sides are needed for you to have the truth. It takes a little bit of the crazy Calvinist and it takes a little bit of the crazy Armenian for you to meet in the middle and understand that it's just simply God's will and your will aligning. Does that make any sense? Right? Does that make any sense at all? trying to find a good spot here. We don't have to understand why God said, you know what? I like Jacob and I hate Esau. Now, understand, it didn't mean he hated Esau. It means that he chose Jacob. No different than he chose Israel, than he chose Isaac. Right? We don't have to understand why God allows something that seems completely crazy in our mind, right? You might say, why would God allow that to happen? 
Because He knows the end of the story and you see today. God knows that the, the, the child that has something crazy going on in their life that we can't understand, God knows the end of the story. And He's like, man, you know, there's something so much greater that could only be accomplished because of this. You have to understand, God's sovereignty is not something you can change, but it's something you can get on, on board with, right? And, and if you're like, I don't want to get on board with it, well, guess what? He gave you all the free will in the world to not. But you get to reap what you sow because of it. And if you're like, man, I should have been on board sooner, He gives you all the free will in the world to get on board with it. To get in the ministry, to do what He's called you to do. Right? And so that's the first three examples. And I want to pick back up on the Jacob and Esau thing a little bit next week. And uh, and we got one more, and it's more of a... Not a personal. It's, it's, it, it talks about Pharaoh in Egypt. Right, so uh, here's what I want you to do this week. Because the book of Romans was supposed to be a study book for us and we've kind of fallen off on our, our study. You know, So uh, I want you to read Romans chapter 9 at least three times. Right? Definitely honing on the first 18 verses because that's what we're hitting on. But we're going to keep going. Right? I'm not going to stop at verse 18 and not go any farther. So... I want to get back to what we were doing with we were studying the book of Romans together, right? And so uh, be looking for key words and key verses, right? Things that pop out and, and understand kind of the, the big picture that Paul's not writing this to anybody other than the church, but he is writing it concerning the nation of Israel, right? And so uh, we'll come back with that. So if you have any questions, I don't want you to leave here like, I don't completely agree with what you said because some things sometimes, sometimes I say things that I totally thought I meant to say and later on my wife's like that was totally wrong and I'm like that's not what I meant sometimes it just comes out wrong so if there was anything like that or, or don't don't leave mad or don't leave confused because this is kind of a technical thing but I want to make sure that we're all on the same page and so it'll all make sense when we get past it but we have to get through it to get past it does that make any sense because this really is super important to your theology uh, and I, I know you're like man I just need to know what I'm supposed to do with my kids this week, right? Or I just want to know how to like not make my wife mad at me this week. I understand we need practical in our life, right? Hey, I'm right there with you, brother. Um, chocolate. She, my wife said chocolate. Uh, I understand we need the practical in our life, but we also need to understand a little deeper at times. Okay, and so that's what this is. And I promise, if you're after practical, don't go anywhere because we get to Romans. Chapter 12, and you're going to get more practical than you can. You're going to be like, okay, I want some more of that teaching stuff because it's too practical, and I feel like God's stepping on my toes too much here. So it's all coming, okay? So let's pray. We'll get out of here. If you do have questions, please let me know because it does make sense in my head. Sometimes it just doesn't come out clearly. So let's pray. Father God, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for the Passpoint class. Again, Last, uh, thank you for last night, Lord, and just a really good time to get together and fellowship and, and just love on one another, Lord. I do pray for those who, uh, for whatever reason, uh, had, had to miss out. Uh, Lord, you uh, you and your sovereignty had those things planned. And we don't need to know why, and we don't have to know why. Um, God, we just need to uh, love you and love people. So uh, I do pray for the Barnes family. Uh, Lord, that you would just uh, give them peace uh, in your sovereignty, uh, Lord, and just uh, allow us to uh, rally around them in this time. 
Lord, we pray for the, the Branham family and the Newland family, uh, all those who aren't here this morning, the Ingalls, and uh, there's just several uh, Galligans. I, I don't want to start listing names, but uh, God, I just pray for everybody. I pray that you just send us out this week as lights in a dark world. Uh, Lord, it's it's uh, it's a divided nation right now, and uh, I don't really care who the president is. I know who the king is, and you are the king of the king and the Lord of lords. And I pray that we as a class and as a church would go out and just live that, uh, and that would just be all. And so, uh, God, I do pray you just use us, give us opportunities this week to uh, just uh, meditate on the things that we're talking about, we're learning, and that there would just be peace in our hearts, uh, that uh, we do have all the free will uh, in our life. We can make every decision that we choose to, uh, Lord, but your sovereignty has so much to do uh, with that. And so uh, I pray you just help us uh, just meditate and process these things, uh, and that it would make sense in our minds. I pray you just use us this week. Bless uh, Pastor Rand as he preaches to us this morning. Be with the team that's in Monmouth this morning, and uh, there's just so many things going on. I just love you. I pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.